We so often take things for granted. From the ordinary events in life to the more extraordinary, we take so many of life's events and activities for granted. We take for granted that when we get up in the morning, the sun will have arisen. And perhaps we get up before the sun and we take for granted that we will see the sunrise. We take for granted that we'll always have work to do. We'll always have money to spend. Always have the hours to waste. There will always be more time. But it is when these things are taken from us. Money. Time. Energy. That's when we begin to realize that we need them. Valuable. And so often we take for granted God's Word. See, we live in a day and age unlike any other in the history of humanity. We live in, an, in a generation where there is more access to God's Word, whether it be digital or print, than any other generation that has lived on the face of this earth. I'm sure many of us have more than one Bible. Or perhaps one or more apps on our phones that give us access to the Bible. We have more than one Bible translation. More than one size of print. For some of us, the print needs to be larger than others. Amen, right? This wasn't so. Imagine, there, you, you couldn't go to Gutenberg and say, hey, do you mind printing it just a little bit larger for me? I can't quite see. No one dared question the, the typeset. Why? Because for the first time, the ordinary person like you and me, the, the, the non-clergy, the, the, the non-wealthy, the, those that, that didn't live in castles and mansions and palaces had access to the Word of God. We so often take God's Word for granted. Friends, this was not the case for so many before us. The Bible is like a GPS or a map. It gives us directions. It tells us where to go and how to live. And in the Bible, we are told that God's people often lived not through the printed word of God. They didn't have like, you know, a bunch of Bibles laying around at the temple where people could go and access them and read them. Rather, they relied upon the prophets preaching and teaching the revelation that God had given to His people. But there came a generation, a generation of God's people who didn't have the sort of free reign access to God's Word the way we do. There was a people in a particular time in the nation of Israel where God went silent. Imagine going on a journey, traveling through difficult terrain without a map, 
without some set of instructions telling you what to do. At home, my family often wants me to make these particular cookies that I make, and they really like them, and they enjoy them, and they devour them very quickly. They're bite-sized. They're very delicious. It's so funny. I've made them hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. In fact, one time I made, uh, to give out to the widows of our congregation, over 10,000 cookies in one sitting with some of our teenagers. We got together and made the 10,000 cookies. And you know what's so funny today? Even today, I will go to that recipe, and I will look at it, and I'll double-check and make sure that I've got the right amounts just to, you know, check myself. And I'm young, and I'm checking myself that much. <laughs> What's the temperature need to be? I know there's some certain... Right? Because without instruction, so many times we can get lost. And the context of our story this morning in 1 Samuel in chapter 3 is exactly that. A people who were lost. God had stopped speaking because they had stopped listening. And it was a scary time. The passage begins in verse 3 and says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. In the King James, it's precious. The idea is God wasn't speaking very much. God didn't have much to say to his rebellious people. Those words were like the famine prophesied by Amos. Not a famine of food and water, but a famine of God's word. They had taken God and his word for granted, like so many of us have done. And Amos prophesied in Amos 8, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find. That is scary. To cry to the Lord, to search to and fro, and not hear from God. These are the dark times in which Samuel lived. God had stopped talking because they had stopped listening. Let's read here in verse Samuel in chapter 3. Invite you to turn there in your Bibles, page 227 in your pew Bible. And again, as I always exhort you, week in and week out, keep your Bible open. It will encourage you as you hear from God this morning and not from man. 1 Samuel in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. 
Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down. So he went and lie down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What is it that he told you? Do not hide it from you. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and he hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. God graciously reveals himself through his word so that people can know him and obey his will. This seems to be the point of this particular passage. The God graciously reveals himself through his word, so that his people can know him and obey his will. So this morning, I think what the author of this letter, book, is is encouraging us towards is an exhortation to hear and obey God's word. And so in our passage this morning, we really see before us three ways that God's word comes to his people. So three kind of ways, you could say, you know, maybe one way and then, you know, two reasons. Many ways we could organize our thoughts. I think, though, that it's best to kind of see them in this way. First, that God's word comes to his people by grace. By grace. That God is not required. God does not owe anyone his word. 
that his word, a revelation of himself, where he tells his people who he is and how to live, that revelation comes to his people by grace. We want to see that it's a gracious God who speaks. That God does not have to speak. And as the text makes clear in verse 1, that God won't speak if people won't listen. And so God's word comes even though people are rebellious. Even though the people wouldn't listen, God was still graciously telling them to repent of their sins and to trust in Him. Let me see our passage this morning begins really just steeped in symbolism. Look with me in chapter 3 and verse 2. We see just the symbolism that the narrator is drawing out for us by way of the characters First, we're told of old Eli. Old Eli was very old, we are told. And his eyesight had begun to grow dim. Just as God's word grew rare, so Eli's eyesight grew dim. We see also here that Eli is lying down in his own place rather than in the temple. We see the demise of Eli and the rise of Samuel. And we see the contrasting uh, metaphors. Look at verse 2 and then look at verse 3. Uh, eye light, eyesight going dim, light going out. Verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And where do we see Samuel? Laying in the temple next to the Ark of the Covenant. The ark was the symbol of God's presence among his people. It was a symbol that God was with them. That was the ark that was, went before the people of Israel. That the cloud and the fire descended upon to lead the people through the wilderness. It was the symbol of God's people. God's people camped around the ark to symbolize that God was central, central in the life of Israel. And where do we find Samuel? Right there. Right there in the midst of God's presence. The lamp of God was that lamp that would burn all night long. And so the, the, the author's telling us that, that it's probably very early in the morning, just before the sun comes up, just before dawn, the lamp of God that... But then we see that symbolism had not yet gone out. There was hope. There was grace. God was not done with his people. And that's the story, the overarching story of Samuel, is that God is not done with these rebellious people. Though they have chosen to do life their own way, though they have and will choose their own king, God will not leave them. He will not abandon his heritage. But he perseveres even though they do not. And so we see that God is coming to his people in a season of grace. But we also see here in the text that they were confused. This was a time of confusion, right? They were so out of practice of hearing God that when God actually showed up, they didn't know what was going on. They were surprised. They were shocked by it. They're like, what? what? 
We, we're told in this sort of very uh, notorious story, or famous story, or well-known story here, of the call of Samuel three times and then a fourth. Samuel's confused. He keeps running to Eli. He thinks Eli's calling him. And we're told there in the text, verse 7, why Samuel is so confused. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. In other words, it isn't in the sense of know, like he didn't know about God. It's just that he had not had an encounter with God yet. That's how bad times were. This guy is hanging out at the temple and has not yet seen any revelation or anything about the Lord. These were difficult and dark times. So often in our lives, when we grow out of practice with things, we we tend to forget how to do them. And we see that even with Eli here in the text. Eli does not expect God is going to speak. Eli has grown cold and deaf. Eli thinks God's done. Now last week we saw that an unnamed prophet some years before our text this morning came to Eli and prophesied that God was going to destroy Eli's family for his sins and the sins of his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And we were told there that God was final and complete. There was no wiggle room. God was done. And he fulfilled that promise later in the lives of Eli's descendants. But the text here tells us that Eli is so confused by what's happening because God's word was so rare. We're reminded here in the text that when we're not regularly around God and His Word, when we're not actively praying that God would speak to us through His Word, friends, you can easily miss when God speaks. See, if we're not regularly around the things of God, praying God speak, Samuel is there. Eli's off on his own. And we see here in verse 10 that the Lord confirms and calls Eli. The Lord brings his word again. By grace, he calls Samuel. And really, the, the, the point of the passage we see in this particular text is that God is calling a prophet to speak for him. This is what God did. He raised up men who would speak for him. They were his mouthpiece to the people. And the prophets called God's people back to his word, back to the law. So all of the prophets, when you read through the major and minor prophets, what they're doing is saying, get back to the law, get back to the law, get back to the law. In other words, they're not really telling anything new that Moses had not already said. They're telling the Israelites, listen, if you don't repent, God will destroy you. If you do not go God's way, you will be destroyed. And the point here is that God comes to his man to speak his word to him. God is calling his man. The the overarching principle here is that men do not speak for God, but God speaks through men. 
So our understanding of the Bible this morning is not that it is a collection of 66 books of men's words about God. The Bible is not man's word about God. But God's word about himself and about man. This is what Peter wrote in 2 Peter in chapter 1. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy, and he seems to be pretty absolute there, right? No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so God speaks his word through his servant. We even know the story of Balaam when when, when false prophets speak wrong words about God, God will even speak through a donkey. God speaks through His man. This is the point we must see. We do not speak for God. We don't come up with our own revelation about who we think God is. That's, I wonder if you heard it in our statement of faith earlier. That it's a testimony about Christ. That it's a book about Christ from God. Not from men. Now, this doesn't mean that, that, that the particular authors are, are, are sort of zombies, if you will, that, that they didn't just sort of you know, close their eyes and, and you know, diddled whatever the Holy Spirit you know, led them to do. No, 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 that's not our. That's not our we understand that a, what's called verbal plenary, what means that all of the, the grammar of the Bible is inspired. That is, that the human author and the divine author are inspired by God. So what, how, you know, Paul spoke was different than how Moses speaks. They used different vocabulary. They lived in different times. And God used those human words inspired by the Spirit of God to say exactly what he wanted to say. So that every part of the Scriptures, every word in the Bible is inspired. This is what so many mainline Protestant denominations have gone away from. They will say things like this, that the Bible contains the Word of God. In the sense that, you know, there's some parts in there that isn't inspired. That's man's Word, not God's Word. No, 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 no. All Scripture, Paul writes, is breathed out by God. And when Paul's writing, he has in mind not just the New Testament. His mind is focused here on the Old Testament. All Scripture is inspired by God. And so this morning, I want you to see the, the picture before us. God was silent because people stopped listening. God removes His Word in judgment, and by grace He speaks when He speaks. This is how God is. I just wonder, have you ever considered that God removes His Word? He hardens Pharaoh's heart. He hardens hearts who do not want to submit to His Word. In judgment, God sometimes just removes His Word. Takes it away. He says, listen, if you don't want to listen, if you don't want to follow, if you don't want this, that's fine. I'll just remove any access to my Word. In other words, no access to the gospel. Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. In other words, you come to faith in Christ 
Not through generating in of yourself, but through the preaching of the words of Christ. As I said, all the Bible's about Jesus. That means all the words. Not the red letters, but the black letters too. All the words are about Christ. And it's through these words that our ears are able to hear. But it's only by God's sovereign grace that we can hear. It is only by grace that God's word comes. Do you see that before you? And so our prayer is God, speak. God, speak, for your servant listens. You see that in the text there, don't you? Look at verse 10. Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears, or, or literally listens. I, I'm listening, Lord. I'm not like these other, I will listen. And the story of Samuel is that. Samuel will listen. And, and we're about to leave Samuel here for a while over the next couple of weeks. He's going to go silent. Um, he's going to keep growing. He's going to keep growing in the Lord. And we'll pick back up with Samuel in chapter 7 when Samuel renews the covenant with Israel. The point here that we want to see is that God is speaking to reveal himself and to renew his people. And that's our next two points. They had refused to listen, so he refused to speak. But there's hope. There's hope in this passage. He, he graciously gives his word to his people. He doesn't go grow weary of his people, but rather graciously gives his word to them that they may know him and follow his will. And so in verses 11 through 18, we see that God's word comes to his people to reveal and what does God reveal? A word of judgment. No word of grace here today. The words that God speaks to Samuel, the very first thing he hears from God is words of judgment against Eli. And look at what he says in verse 11. Listen, I'm about to do something that uh, is going to make everybody's uh, hair stand up on their neck. I'm about to act. I'm, I'm about to do something. I'm about to reveal myself to my people. I'm about to open their eyes and loosen their ears that they can really get a glimpse of who I am. I am a God who is just and a God who is a judge. What we see here in verse 11 through, through 18 is really just a summary uh, of what God had said, or verse 11 through um, 14, rather, of what God had already said to Eli. So we don't see anything new here, but we see the reinforcement, the sort of seal, the final seal through the prophet's voice. Samuel is going to confirm all that God had said. I wonder if you've ever received news that shocked you. News that kind of made you sit up, take a breath. So shocking. So unexpected. Perhaps in this generation, 9-11 uh, perhaps would be one event that did that for so many Americans. So shocking. Unexpected. What? So much so that, that Americans glued themselves to the TV in a... In a in a fade, like is this real? Am I watching a movie? This is really happening. 
in real life. It was unexpected. And so was God's judgment of Eli. Eli's family was the most powerful and the most influential in all of Israel. They held the keys to the kingdom, if you will. And it was this people, this family, that God was going to to destroy. And an unnamed nobody, he was going to raise up and put in their place. We again in this text are confronted with God's character. His words of judgment reveal his character. This is who God is. Yes, God is a God of love. Yes, God is gracious. But we must not forsake all of Scripture and see that God is just in his judgments. This is what we praise about God. This is what we sing and celebrate. Imagine, imagine if you will, if you were down at the courthouse and someone was was singing praises to the judge who was about to sentence them. No. We sing praises to our God who is a judge because he is just. Because you you will sing praises down down at the courthouse. You know the kind of praises you're going to hear? Wow, his ruling was just. It was right. It was fair. He got it right. So often we hear the negative. He got it wrong. Or she got it wrong. She was unjust. Unfair. Innocent people go to prison. But our God is just. Eli had done all these things and more. And God was just in his judgment. And God for his own glory condemns him. And I know many of you are frightened by verse 14. You're like, whoa, this is, this is too much for me. What does this mean that God would not atone for him? What well, means exactly what it says. That God doesn't have to save a single soul. That God is not required. God is not bound by any oath or any covenant or any agreement that he has to save any sinner. And therefore, any act of saving is an act of grace and mercy upon which the sinner does not deserve. Eli deserved condemnation and God was just and righteous to condemn him. And so are we. Every Christian in this room today does not deserve salvation, does not deserve heaven. You have done nothing to merit Such grace from God. The Bible tells us that he will condemn all those who do not turn from their sin and trust in Christ. That there is a coming day when he will judge this world. When he will be just and everything will be laid bare. Every sin will become known. And God will decree condemnation. But those who trust in Christ, the one who came and bore the wrath of God, who is condemned for not his sins, but for our sins. And all those who would turn and trust in him would be saved. Today you are saved from God's righteous wrath through Christ and through Christ only. And if you're not trusted in Christ, I just invite you today to to cry out to him, save me through the death of Christ. And you will be saved. And verse 14 will not be your fate. But friend, mark this down in your mind. 
if you do not turn from your sins and trust in the work of Christ, verse 14 is your future. It is going to be the epitaph on your screenstone. You're not going to turn up into heaven and say, ah, uh, sorry, is there any second chance? Any, any like wiggle room here? There was no wiggle room for Eli, and there will be none for you if you do not trust in Christ. Well, we must go on in verse 15 through 18. We see here a test like no other. We see the climax of the story coming here in verse 15. What will Samuel do? We are told that Samuel just chills in the temple. He doesn't come out. He doesn't go running back to Eli. Naturally so. Samuel was a human being. And we are told that he was afraid. Imagine, it's your first day on the job. You've just been freshly minted as a prophet of the Lord. And you get to go share God's word with his people. You get to go preach your first sermon. Teach your first Sunday school class. Tell people about about God. But his word wasn't a word of hope. It wasn't a word of blessing like God's going to bless you and your family. It was a curse. A curse to the man who'd raised him. The one who had mentored him and trained him. The man who had cared for him his whole life since his mom dropped him off when he was a, a little baby. man who cared for him, he was to go and say, God's going to kill you. One of the themes that runs throughout the book of 1 Samuel, that I hope you'll see as we study it, is the fear of man versus the fear of God. Samuel, or Eli first, Eli feared man more than he feared God. That's why he wouldn't confront his sons. That's why his confrontation with his son was, you know, he didn't dispose them from their job. He should have got rid of them. He should have executed them. But rather, he just fed into their sin. He enabled them. Samuel, by contrast, I mean, he stands against some really tough things, even Saul. And we'll see that Saul feared man more than he feared God when he sacrificed those idols and didn't wait, or sacrificed rather than waiting for Samuel to come and perform the sacrifice. God calls his servant to speak hard words in our passage. Samuel passes the test. He speaks the words of judgment against Eli. And in a surprising fashion, Eli submits to it. The first time, perhaps, in his life, Eli is finally submitting to the Lord. And commentators are really divided over really what's going on here. Is this to be understood as virtue? Or rather, a sad picture of a man who would who wouldn't cry out to God for mercy. Eh, it's the Lord's will. Let it be done. I think it's more the latter. When God told Moses that he was going to destroy the nation, what did Moses do? He cried out to the Lord. No, have mercy. Don't kill the people. He cried out day and night in prayer that God would deliver. When Joshua and the people faced their enemy, and they were going to be destroyed. What did Joshua do when he was leading the people? He cried out, have mercy upon this. So perhaps this is just a sad way to end an already sad life of one who would not call out to the Lord 
for mercy. The point that I hope you'll take away from this is that God speaks through his servant to reveal his will, his character, his purposes. He reveals himself through his word. So if you want to know who God is, you want to know more about God, his character, well, just go to the Bible. Just open up the scriptures, read these stories, and you'll see how God acts, what God is, is praising and what God is condemning. Well, then we'll find very clearly here who God is and his character. Finally, and very quickly, God's word comes to his people to renew. In that final paragraph of this section, we see God renewing himself and his covenant with his people. God again speaks through Samuel the prophet. The first prophet since Moses has come. You think about it, it's been a, been a long time since there's been a, a true named prophet in scripture. We've got to go all the way back to Deuteronomy to find a named prophet of the Lord. And Moses was his name, the one who penned the first five books of the Holy Scriptures. And in Deuteronomy in chapter 18, God promises that he will raise up another faithful prophet. Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever will not listen to my words that I shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God promises that he will raise up another prophet. And Samuel is that prophet. The most immediate fulfillment to Deuteronomy 18 is Samuel. The one from the nation of Israel who would speak God's word. But Samuel, as we know so well, isn't the last prophet of Israel. God, by grace, would continue to raise up prophet after prophet, calling God's people back to his word. Until we read in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all also, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Friends, we hear God. Through Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh. He is the final and fullest prophet. He is the only one who is faithful to speak all of God's Word, who alone we point to today to hear from God. If we want to know God, we look nowhere else than to Jesus Christ. And we see here in verse 20 that God also unites His people around His Word. God's Word unites His people. It brings life into them. It unites them around this common vision. And there God uses His Word to unite His people around this common vision through Daniel, or through Samuel. Verse 20, And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. God's people at this time were not united under one kingdom. But God was bringing them together, not around a person, but around his word. And finally, I want you to see in verse 21 that God renews his people 
with His Word by creating new people. The final point we see in this passage is that God uses His Word to create His people, to mark them off from the world. God's people were starving for His Word. Like we heard from Amos, the people had a, had a great famine of the Word. And we today are starving for God's Word. We are starving to hear from Him. We don't need to hear a fresh word from the Lord. We do not need to hear a fresh word from the Lord. We need to hear the old word from the Lord. The words contained in Scripture. We reject the view that where God has put a, a, a comma or so on and so forth, he, he keeps speaking. We, we reject the view of mainline Protestant denominations who say that God is still speaking today. No, God has spoken in His Word. And we need to hear it again. In Ezekiel 36, God takes Ezekiel out to a valley full of dry bones. If there was ever a famine, that was the place that there was a famine. The text says that they were very dry. But you see, what God was going to do was to create His people. He was going to create His people not through some miraculous means, not through some faith through um, Ezekiel, no, but rather through His Word. And that is the miracle. Everything began to change. Not because Ezekiel had great faith. Not because he knew what was going on. They were dead. God spoke. And it was His Word that was spoken by the man of God that created the people of God by the Spirit of God. And so it is with us. God creates His people through His Word. This is how He's done it from the beginning of creation and will continue to do so. And so, brothers and sisters, let us orient ourselves around God's Word. Let us commend ourselves. Let us commit ourselves to the Scriptures. To know God through His Word. People do not need to hear more moralistic teaching. People do not need to hear more Ten Commandments. People do not need to hear they need to be a better family and have better family values. What people need is the Word of Christ heralded not just from the pulpit, but from our lives, from our lips. And friends, I wonder this week, will you commit to giving your Word, the Word of Christ, to somebody else? That they might be created anew. Will you be so bold as Samuel was to speak God's Word? Even though we know it probably won't be received? Will you trust that God's Word will accomplish its purposes? Will you be so bold to speak the words of Christ? To offer them the words of grace that God has spoken to you through His Word today. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we give praise and glory to You. We know Your Word is a measure of grace to us. And it is through Your Word you create Your people. Renew us today, we pray. 
through your word. Change us, O Lord. Shape us by your word. May we submit to who you are, how you've revealed yourself through the Holy Scriptures. Lord, we pray that your spirit would encourage us to commit to, pre- to, to reading through your word, to knowing you more through the Scriptures. This is our prayer, O Lord. Father, help us, we pray, to give glory to you this week, to commend the gospel, and Lord, that we can see people's lives renewed through your word. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.